Good evening. Uh, there we go. Good evening to all of you in-crowd people. You all right out there? Now, you know why I'm saying this? I just got this nice little letter. This guy says, he says, a few weeks ago, I went to um, kind of a little second-rate concert somebody's having at Carnegie Hall. And uh, before it started, he said the MC came out and looked into the microphone and said, uh, Well, hello, everybody, since you're all part of the in-crowd. And he said, you know, he was saying it seriously. And he goes on to say, if I had known that all it took to be accepted by the beautiful people was a two-dollar-and-a-half ticket for the 83,765th balcony in Carnegie Hall, I would have joined a long, long time ago. A long time ago. No, that ain't what I wanted. I wanted the other one. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> you know. It's all right. It's all right. Yes, indeed. We got Finlandia up. I can see something. Good night. <laughs> well, you know, uh, bring it up if you want to. I'm sorry. Right. He wants to bring it up. Bring it up. Bring it up. This is the engineer's choice. We'll just let him soak in it for a while. I say, when they make a boo-boo, let them boo. Very good. <laughs> you have any other nice whoopee tunes in there for us tonight? Very good. That's nice. That's good. That's why diagrams are written. You know, while we're on the subject, since, since you brought that up, the reason I brought that piece of music in here was because uh, I had been reading that uh, out in the Middle West, and <laughs> yes, indeed, <laughs> uh, George, out in the far West, what we ought to do is institute the old system. That means one, that means two. Okay? Very good. All right, because I'm afraid you guys have a tendency to just grab the first one that's handy and turn the switch in the belief that if something's on, it's okay. I'll never forget the time I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a radio station and I saw that just go all to you know what, fellas. Because he put on, of all things, the, the uh, International right after he gave the station break and was given the sign-off, and he played uh, the Russian national anthem. And I'll tell you, there were more calls than you could ever shake a stick at. So don't believe just because you've got noise on the air. You know, <laughs> that's, that's one of the great beliefs on radio. As long as there's no dead air, we're safe. Don't you believe it. Silence is far more innocent quite often than some guy hollering something to another guy in the next studio about the uh, after negotiations that are going on right now or whatever it might be. Just remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you know, uh, maybe you don't know this, uh, oh, friendly people out there, but there is, there is, a, uh, there is a myth among stage people, and also it, it, it laps over the radio, too, that as long as there's no silence, you're okay. And I remember one guy in the middle of of a, a <laughs> of Midsummer's Night's Dream <laughs> in a Shakespearean production. Uh, somebody missed their cue, and he's standing out there, and he decides to ad lib. Well, you you'd be surprised how ad libbing shows up in the middle of Shakespeare. Uh, it, it, it shows up so uh, unbelievable. It's like somebody, you know, did something awful in the middle of mass. And that uh, he just went on for about three minutes. 
and, and the crowd sort of stiffened. And he thought he was doing great. He came running off the stage, you know, dressed like an elf or a pixie or whatever it is he was dressed. I says, how'd you, how'd you like the way I handled that when, uh, when Myrtle, Mr. Q? And there were nothing but purple faces for blocks around in the backstage. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, the reason, the reason though, that I, that I brought this piece of music in here, good reason here, so long as it's Thursday night and we can, we can relax here. Uh, the reason, you mark that down, we'll cut that out, okay? Uh, the reason that I, I, I brought this in was very good reason. Uh, I'm sitting here and I'm looking around and I realize that, that uh, most people who live either on, you know, the New York area or live in San Francisco, that area, they don't really know what winter is about. And um, on the other hand, since they don't know what winter is about, they have a tendency to, uh, to amplify or to exaggerate their own world, their own weather. You know, a little piece of snow comes down and they write about it for four months. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Los Angeles is a fantastic trauma. And they take pictures of it. They try to frame it. Other guy, you know, they try to put it in the freezer to keep it for next year to look at it and that kind of thing. New York is even worse. New Yorkers, the minute it starts raining, figure that the mayor is lousing up again. I, I oh yes, I, poor, poor, uh, poor Lindsay, he's gonna, he, wait, wait till the spring showers start and two or three Met games are rained out. There's gonna be trouble, I'll tell you, downtown that won't stop. And, uh, this, this is all part of living the urban life. But then, but then again, uh, I am not one to look, you know, look around and say, "Oh boy, I have to." I just want to want to tell you one story, though. How many times when uh, have, do you, have you ever looked back on your life and thought about a fantastic, unbelievable, senseless trek or hang-up that you have had that you cannot explain at this moment? Something you wanted so tremendously, or some insane thing that you decided to do. And you carried through in spite of the fact that the car sank in 40 feet of water, that you had to swim 14 miles through raging seas. <laughs> you, just, you just were driven beyond something you couldn't understand. Just, and I, and I, when, I, when I look around, you know, I walk down the street and I see some a fantastically uh, uh, ugly car. And I see it go past. It's got giant fins and it's got chrome all over it and the hi-fi is playing and it's got a monogram on the side. And, you know, he's compounding the felony. And I see the guy sitting in there. I realized that, that at one moment in time, this guy must have had a real hang-up. A real hang-up on something that he could not stop. He had a hang-up on getting this ugly car. Now, he didn't know it was ugly at the time. Uh, that, that's the problem. See? Now, I wonder how many guys right now listening to the show, and chicks too, incidentally, are living with somebody because of some unbelievable hang-up they got at one time that they can't even remember why it happened. All they know is that for the rest of their lives, for maybe 40 years, they've been swimming through raging seas. <laughs> they've been they've been battling icebergs and tornadoes and they cannot understand what happened it was that moment well this is what herman melville's captain ahab epic slash moby dick uh fantasia is about uh, this is something that melville recognized that hang-up uh, that now he just made it into a big hang up you know he just made it big and he put in religion and mythology and all the rest of it. but it's yet it's all in everybody's hang everybody's little moment there everybody's been ahab at one point or another 
And and I and I'll, I will I don't have to tell you about the time that I was Ahab. Uh, I was about the oh I maybe eleven, and it was during Christmas vacation, which is a bad time. You know that that psychologists will tell you that more murders, more more acts, atrocities are committed. More guys. Have you noticed how many houses are burning? If you, if you listen to the news, houses are burning down all over the place. Well, it's because of the time of the year. People, uh, people are, there's a great unrest settles into the human spirit at that time. The first of the year, uh, uh nostalgia for, for who knows what, uh, <laughs> Excessive joy, cheering, whoopee, the whole business, all of it's part in the one, two-week period of almost totally repressed insanity. And, and, and nobody, insanity, one kind, nobody can, is totally immune from it, although he thinks he is. He's listening, so what is he talking about? And at the same time, he's pulling straws out of his ear. Uh, what do you mean, what is he talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And so I'm a kid one time, and I'll tell you, it was right after Christmas, and it's a Midwestern winter, uh, the snow is four feet deep, and the wind is howling through the eaves outside, and the ice icicles are hanging down all the way to the ground, and it's that, it's that period of letdown after Christmas, you know, a kid is, oh, well, you know, Christmas has come and gone, now it's just, he's got a full week before school starts again, it's going to be New Year's, and uh, he's already tired of the BB gun, he's had it already with the, with the fire truck. He's he's uh, played the Monopoly enough. Now it's coming out of his ears, and he's fooling around, and itching. And I am I am sitting around the house itching. Now we had this. Uh, you probably have, uh, get these things too, where they come around the local uh, merchants, uh, the the local stores, throw away these throwaways of the ads of, uh, of big sales, food ads, food sales, and you know, big uh, post Christmas sales. Big uh, New Year's Day turkey sales and all that stuff. Well, I go struggling out to the porch to get the mail in the middle of this howling gale, and I come struggling back. And with me is this uh, this this flyer, and it's it's for a store that was about two and a half miles away from our house, way down. I mean, about two and a half, maybe three miles away uh, in the next town, as a matter of fact. And I, I'm looking through this thing just sitting there, and they had an ad in there, a bushel of apples for 45 cents. Now, I remember it distinctly, the price and everything. Now, don't ask me why a bushel of apples for 45 cents, but it was a bushel of apples. It said a special Christmas sale on winter apples, 45 cents a bushel. So I'm thinking about this. And my kid brother is under the day bed. He's weak, you know, he's yelling and hollering, whimpering. And I drag him out and uh, I put on my earmuffs and I tell him to get on his helmet with the goggles. And I put on my high tops and we go out into the snow and next door at the Bruner's house. And I get Bruner out and the Bruner and myself, my kid brother, and at about 15 minutes, Flick, we're all standing in the driveway, up to our eyebrows in frozen, rotten, cruddy, dirty, blast furnace snow. The temperature is seven below zero. And I say, let's surprise our mothers. 
let's go and get a bushel of apples for 45 cents. Well, I had a dollar that had been given to me by my Uncle Tom for a Christmas gift. And so I figured I would, what a fantastic surprise, to bring home a bushel of apples. Now, don't ask me why. I know it's a silly question, a silly thing to do. Don't ask me why. And so my kid brother, and the flick says, well, how do we get there? And the brother says, how do you expect to get over there? And this was a place that was the IGA store. Do you ever hear the IGA uh, chain stores? Well, the IGA store was a good two miles away. It was in the next town. And I said, we'll take our sleds. Well, we started. We were fighting against a raging gale. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon. And we began along that twisting, evil, ice-encrusted, howl-emblazoned, yes, Finlandia. I'll announce very loudly. You don't play Tiger Rag when you're fighting the gale, Dad. Anyways, I'm glad you asked me. Well... Uh, I can understand why Sibelius wrote the way Sibelius wrote. This is the sound of the frozen north, friends. Yes, indeed. Well, after two and a half hours, we had gone maybe one half a mile. Just far enough not to turn back. And just far enough to know we might never make it. wind howled and it howled and my kid brother was hanging on to the back of my sheepskin coat Bruner was limping badly Flick's nose was running all the way down to his knees and I said forward the madness was on me well we fought the howling winter gale for I would say a good Five hours. And I mean five hours. Uh, have you ever had frostbitten ears? Well, I have had frostbitten ears. I got them that afternoon. My kid brother had a frostbitten head. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. Before we got there, Bruner was frozen solid. We had him lashed to the sled. And, and Flick, believe me, was a sled himself. We were just pulling him along. He had runners sticking out of his ears. And we finally arrived at the IGA store. I'll never forget this. We were unable to walk. We were just walking it like, like stiff with, with ice all over our ears. And we came out of this howling gale. And there was the IGA store. At long last. It, I, I, it must have been the way uh, Ahab felt when he saw that big white fluke come out of that water. And I took one look at the IGA store and I says, here we are. It was closed. Closed. Speaking of tragedy, this is WOR AM and FM New York. Miller Highlight, the bright, clear taste in beer. Miller Highlight, the champagne of bottled beer. There's only one champagne of bottled beer. Sparkling. Flavorful, distinctive, Miller Highlight. 
brewed only in Milwaukee. From a century-old recipe, Miller High Life has a rich heritage and tradition. A bright, clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in the familiar crystal clear bottle. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. All right, let's see. We have a note here. Oh, boy, Doris Day. Holy smokes, on top of everything. Do not disturb. That's the title. That's a good title. Do not disturb. That's the title of Doris Day's great new comedy. I'll bet it doesn't. And it's the... <laughs> I'm reading it exactly the way it's written here. It's the greatest day of them all. Doris plays an innocent abroad. Just drop the A, and Doris has been playing that for years. And that's where she's gone with her husband, played by Rod Taylor. They have a model marriage. She's got the marriage, he's got the model, and it sounds like a gas, doesn't it, friends? Indeed, that's Doris Day in fantastic color and cinemascope. She photographs pure orange, you know. You'll say it's a glorious day. Uh, this time of year, everyone wants to see an entertainment that's relaxing and full of bops and laughter and fun. And that's Do Not Disturb, a 20th century motion picture, 20th century Fox motion picture, that opens the door on some, we quote, really funny shenanigans. <laughs> Only a copywriter writing about a Doris Day movie would dare to use the word funny shenanigans in, in, in the, in the mid-1960s. Uh, wowie, hotcha. And while we're on the subject, <laughs> we have with us Rover tonight. And, uh, I just, uh, I just heard that a lot of people, I didn't get the mail. I don't know what happened here with our mail department. They did not, uh, ship all the mail down to me this past week. And if you have written for pictures of the Rover and have not received them yet, it's because somebody's been, uh, putting them all with the Christmas cards and stuff around here. So if you would like to see a picture of the new Rover 2000, which is a great English automobile, uh, just send your name and address to me, John Gambling, in care of Rover. Uh, that's uh, 1440 Broadway, W-O-R. <laughs> you better not. Poor John. He's had enough trouble lately. I'll never forget the time a couple of weeks. Do you remember a couple of months back? When I'm in the in the restaurant, oh, I'll I'll save that story a little bit later on. That's the Rover 2000, a great English car, and uh, <laughs> I think you'll find that it uh, it makes it. Oh, by the way, speaking of making it, we'll be definitely at the limelight this Saturday night. Uh, people have been calling in because we didn't have a show uh, on Christmas Day down at the limelight. We will have one New Year's Day, and if you're bored with New Year's Day with all that. Uh, they must have 45 hours of football booked on all channels. Well, we're going to play football down at the limelight. I've got myself a green helmet, and Marty Lawrence got a red one, and we're going to run through a little play or two down there. And we will be at the limelight down on Sheridan Square. Has it, has it ever occurred, really, watching all that football, ultimately, do you have a feeling that it's 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 all... Uh, the football has come like golf to look like one of those television sports. They all look the same. 
a lot of guys running back to make that eternal pass. And, uh, if, if, you know, it's like you're looking at the same football game eternally over and over and over again. And Chris Schenkel announces them all. Uh, I, I, I believe that they don't even use real golf matches anymore on television. They just put together clips of old golf matches that were played back maybe 10, 12 years ago. And they just keep broadcasting and announcing them over and over again. Have you noticed they're always being played in some wild place? Where you can't go to see if they're really playing it, they always announce that they're playing at some at the uh, at the Pukha Sahib Country Club outside of Ranjapur, India. And uh, yeah, they're always then they say, "Here's the beautiful picture, the layout." And actually, that's at Studio Seven over on 66th Street, and they're playing the same golf game. Well, I get that feeling about football. Lately, I've had it just as terrible. I'm, I've developed a football, pro football, particularly rash. And uh, speaking of uh, pro football, we will be at the limelight this weekend. And incidentally, if you tune in and you don't hear us, it's because you're listening to Madam Butterfly. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me to explain how Madam Butterfly got scheduled on double on WOR for all Saturday nights. All right, I expected that not to go out to uh, KFRC. Okay, fellas. Uh, uh, that that uh, it, when it, how Madam Butterfly got scheduled for Saturday night on WR I don't know but we will follow this tearjerker immediately afterwards we'll come on and try to give you a little antidote uh, we'll be here till midnight okay now let's get back to real life here you know speaking of uh, of giant hangups I'll tell you though what what really happened in the the, the end of that that uh, that terrible story of the apples. Uh, we, we arrived at the IGA store, and uh, we stood there. We got there, it must have been a half an hour after the IGA store had closed. I couldn't believe it. You see, because this was my whole bit. This was my stick. Uh, this was a hang-up that I had. I was the driving force behind that. And by this time, you know, there's a certain point in, 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 in uh, I suppose you can call it misery. At a certain point in misery, you don't complain anymore. Are you aware of that? You reach, you reach a point beyond which complaining is gone. You just sit there and you freeze or you burn or whatever it is you're doing and you no longer whimper. You don't say anything about it. And my kid brother was just standing there like a fire plug. He wasn't crying or anything. Flick's nose. It was, just, it was no longer running. It was frozen. There two long icicles hanging down. And uh, Brunner was just standing there numbly in a snow drift. I could see his eyes sticking out of the snow. And we stood there in front of the IGA store. <laughs> and you think I gave up? Oh, boy. <laughs> I said, let's go on to the A&P. Well, you know, they weren't running 45 cent a bushel uh, sales at the A&P. So the A&P was another four blocks down. So we struggled on to the A&P. And the wind is howling. It's getting dark. Well, we got to the A&P, and it's still open. They stayed open a half an hour longer than the IGA store. And into the A&P, we got just tremendous heat hit us instantly. And that's when they all started to cry. All three of them started to yell and holler. And I go back to the vegetable department, and I said, do you have apples for sale? And I said, apples? What do you mean apples? Yeah, there's apples. You know, apples, three for a dime. And they had them all. I said, I want a bushel of apples. A bushel of apples? What do you mean a bushel of apples? And I took out my ad, and I showed it to him, 45 cents for a bushel of apples. 
Well, the manager of this store, I will, I will never forget this because obviously he saw there were four kids with a fantastic hang-up. And he says, well, that's the IGA store. I said, I know, but they're closed. He says, bushel of apples for 45. I said, well, I know what they're talking about. He says, they're talking about those little horse apples, those little, I can see them muttering, it's all horse And he goes down to the basement with two kids, and they came back up with a bushel of apples. And they gave me a bushel of apples for 45 cents. Now, I will never forget, every time I walk into the A&P now, I get a vaguely warm glow. And, and they gave me a bushel of apples for 45 cents. And all four of us are holding this. Have you ever carried a bushel of apples when you're 10, you know, and you're frozen? And the four of us have got this bushel of apples. And, and, and I gave them the dollar, and the guy gave me back the change for, you know, 55 cents. And he says, well, he said, uh, do you want us to deliver them? I said, no, we're going to take them home. He says, in the snow like this? Where do you live? And I told him, he says, I, you, you, you mean you're going to, well, are you driving? Well, we got our sleds. You've got your, and it's getting dark. It's about six o'clock out there. Now, you know, it would be like two o'clock in the morning by the time we got back with these, with these crummy apples. And, and the manager of the, of the apple department of the A&P says, well, maybe you better call home. It's for a surprise. He says it's for a surprise for who? Well, we're going to surprise our ma. Gee, I don't know what to say. Well, do you think you can get better not? And he called somebody over named George. And George came over to the four of us and he says, uh, we'll take you home in a truck. And they had this big hand feature, giant big green truck, and all on the side of it, it said Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company with the red and gold letters. And, and uh, he says, come around to the back. And uh, we came around the back, and he says, we're going to take you home. Uh, Mr. Mr. So-and-so has decided that you better go home in the truck, and uh, we'll take you home. You say you're going home to Hesville? I said, yeah, mm-hmm. Cleveland Street. But the, what about our sleds? Oh, okay, well, let's pick up the sleds. Well, all four of us got in the back of this truck with our three sleds and a bushel of apples. And they turned around and they drove all the way on back. The guy couldn't believe it. We had gone about three, maybe three miles, close to three miles, in probably the most gigantic snowstorm that had hit this town in years. Well, why? I, I don't know. You know, and, and, and so about a block away, I'm knocking on the door. See, I'm knocking on the back window. And he's in the cab. We're sitting in the back. I'm banging on the window. And he stops. He says, is this where you live? And I says, yeah. We're a block away from home, see. And so he says, okay, kids. He says, boy, man. He says, gee whiz, wow, what a night. I don't know how you came this far. And so out we go out the back. And I put the bushel of apples on the sled, and I started to tug, and Flick pushed, and Bruner hung on to the back of my coat, and my kid brother is whimpering in the snow drifts, and we went up to the back porch of the house through a block of blinding blizzard, and my mother came on. I says, Ma, I got a surprise for you. And she says, what have you... 
apples, a bushel of apples. How wonderful. Oh, for heaven's sakes, where did you get them? A bushel of apples. I said, we got them at the IGA store, Ma. She says, a bushel. And then I showed her the ad. I said, see, look, a bushel of apples. We thought we'd surprise you. And now comes the denouement. We had 4,500 apples, all frozen as hard as you couldn't believe. Have you ever tasted an apple that was frozen and then thawed out? The instant those apples thawed out, they all turned into one gigantic pile of brown mush. But, you know, for, for, for years after that, it was like a big thing in the family. It was like the time that I really went out and did it. And everyone said, well, do you remember the time that Gene went down and got the bushel of apples? Gee whiz. Oh, boy, those were really, that, that was really something. Wasn't that great how they did that? And we'd say, yeah. And that, that, that to me is, is always, will always remind me of the great hang-up. And it's all, it, I, I realize that, that many adults carry a thing like that all their lives. Some fantastic drive that just never lets them stop. In fact, uh, I suspect that one of the reasons why snow and ice brings out the epic. You know, have you ever, have you ever run across in crossword puzzles what they talk about the Icelandic epics? The Icelandic sagas. Nobody writes sagas in Florida. You just don't write a saga when you're sitting on the beach, you know? It never occurs to anybody sitting in Bermuda to write a saga. It's only with a wind howls and that, that, that Sibelius, that Sibelius sound comes whistling out from, from under, from under the eaves. And you can, you can hear those icebergs clattering one against the other. You're staring off into that gathering gloom of a fantastic, cold, crisp, freezing winter night. That's when the saga urge is upon a man. That's when the fevered brow of the great Beowulf strides across the land. You know, that reminds me, listening to that music, set that back. Will you skip? Uh, did, have you, have you, any of you, have you, any of you, this is, I, I suppose a few of you have, I can understand why some of the greatest short stories have been written about the frozen north. Do you remember Jack London's story? I, I'll never forget one time I'm a kid. I'm about, oh, I must have been about in eighth grade. In fact, I know it was eighth grade because I remember the teacher who read this story to us. She is standing up in front of the class, and we're all sitting there very innocently. And, and it was the first time that literature ever got me. A Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy didn't, well, you know, they didn't quite move me. Uh, I was with it, but they didn't move me. Uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, they moved me about a millimeter to the right. Uh, the Hardy Boys at the Lake... Well, a little bit. The outdoor chums at the White Mountain? Possibly. But one day, Miss Fife, who was a little dark-haired teacher with rimless glasses in eighth grade, stood up behind her desk, and she said, uh, we, had been, we had been reading stuff like Lady of the Lake, 
We've been reading things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ivanhoe and so on. And she says, today I'm going to read one of my favorite short stories. Uh, kids don't really read short stories. They don't assign short stories in, uh, in classes. They always assign these terrible novels like uh, Silas Marner. Uh, that kind of jazz. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't tell you to read uh, uh, The Banana Fish. Uh, nothing like that. They, they, you're, always, you're always reading some long, giant thing about guys running around in armor. Uh, that kind of stuff. And so she says, I am going to read to you a short story. One of my favorite short stories. It was one of those... Do you remember in classes when you were in school on those relaxed days when there wasn't really an assignment and some teacher decided just to have a little uh, fooling around time that day. Like, uh, let's just sit and talk today. What do you say? That really is another way for saying the teacher did not prepare. She had a party the night before. She came in at 3 in the morning, you know, yelling and hollering and drunk and three guys with her and the whole scene. And so now here it is. It's, it's uh, 11 o'clock the next day. And uh, she didn't bring the papers. And she forgot and left her assignment book home, the whole bit. And so <laughs> the kids love it. See? And I'm sitting in there with Mrs. Mrs. Fife was a very grim teacher. Uh, she was the teacher who had this hang-up on adverbs and gerunds. Uh, she, she was the one who, who constantly nipped at my hocks about this business of, of uh, diagramming sentences. I became the greatest fake sentence diagrammer in the history of the Middle West. To my knowledge, I have never correctly diagrammed the sentence but I could fake it uh, I made all these little lines hanging and I wrote <laughs> you know, and I used to fake this I, I, I never learned what, what all this diagramming jazz was about and, and that was Miss Fife she was a very grim teacher that kind she was always talking about parts of speech uh, she used to get, line us all up. Like she'd take two, two, two uh, groups out of the class. Like she'd divide everybody from M to Z would stand over there, and everybody from A to M would stand on the other side, and they would have a parts of speech contest. Have you ever had that? Where she would uh, she would read out, uh, uh, shout out a word like beautiful. All right, now what do you say? Is that an adjective? Is it an adverb? Uh, it was it was it was a variation on the old spelling game. And so it was that, oh, I used to hate that. It was always chicks knew all about gerunds and stuff, and I'm always staying. 30 seconds later, I'm sitting in my seat. You, you, if you missed, you sat down. You know, I'm always sitting in my seat. And everybody else is battling it out. Well, that was the kind of teacher she was until this day. Miss Fife says, I'm going to read to you. It was an English class, of course. She says, I'm going to read. It's not in our books or anything. I'm going to read a short story to you. And, uh... Let's see. Here it is. It's from one of my books I brought from home. I just happen to have it with me in my purse, and I'd like to read a short story. Now, all of you sit down. There's not going to be any questions asked on this. Nothing to do with assignment. It's just uh, for fun. All right. And she started to read. Now, at, at the beginning, she had this cracked old lady English teacher voice. You know, the kind that says, The wind blew out of the north. That kind of voice, the, the, the vaguely uh, Norman Vincent Peale preacherish voice. You know the kind of voice that so many uh, non-professional readers assume when they read? They, go, they read like this. The boy stood on the burning deck, a peck of apples in his hand. You know that kind of voice. 
Uh, <laughs> that's just called the reading voice. Well, she starts out in this reading voice, and all, all the guys are oh, crying out loud. Well, this mood lasted for, I would guess, about a minute and a half until it began to soak in what she was reading about. She was reading about a man and a dog. And the man and the dog were in the frozen north. And they were struggling to go somewhere. They were between something and somewhere. He was a, a trapper or he was a prospector. And he was with this great dog, a husky. And the wolves were howling in the woods all around him. And it was a story that, that not only grabbed, you could, have, you could have heard, believe me, you could hear the trains howling four miles away in the classroom as she read this story. It was a Jack London story. How many of you remember a story like that? And the guy was freezing to death. He kept falling down and falling asleep. Do you recall that story? And the dog kept tugging at him, trying to wake him up. And then he would drag himself forward, and the dog would tug again and wake him up. Do you remember that story? What is the name of that story? I will award a brass figgy with bronze oak leaf palm if any victim of those particular stories... Is, is around and can remember it. The frozen north and the story of that dog and that Jack London hero. Well, she read that story. And we sat there and, and you know, our mouths, even the chicks were with it. And, and, and you, you could feel it because outside it was wintertime. You could see the snow blowing out of the swamp there in Indiana. And, and she read this story and kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And then, I would say probably 20 minutes after she started to read, the bell rang. And that was the end of the class. And Mrs. Fife, I'll never forget what, what, a, great, what a great thing that, that lady did. Mrs. Fife said, well, she said, that's the end of the class. She said, I'm afraid that I just can't finish reading the story. Here we were. This guy was about to freeze to death. And the, you could hear the, the howling of the wolves. You could hear the wind screaming down out of the Arctic Circle. And Joshua up on the front, he said, Yes, that's the name of it. That's exactly the name of it. That is the name of the story. The story is called Two Matches. He had two safety matches between himself, between his life, and death in the frozen north. And with him was this, was this great dog. And at the end, just as she's, as she's reading almost at the end of the story, Skip, she's got the thing, she's got the business with, yes, a little of that Finlandia there, that's right. She's got, she's, he's, he's down there hiding next to the dog. He's trying to get out of the wind. And he's got his last match. He's trying to get a fire started. He knew that if he didn't get this fire started, he couldn't possibly survive in that long Arctic night. His last match. And he strikes it. 
at that little tiny glow, the temperature 45 below zero, the great dark Arctic night stretching high over him, the flickering of the northern lights, and the distant baying of the advancing wolves, and that tiny light flickered, flickered for just a moment. Just as that light flickered out, far off somewhere down near the main office, we could hear the end of the class. And Miss Fife said, well, she says, well, and, and you could see she was caught up in it too, you know. You could see she was just uh, all caught up in the story. And we all sat there for a minute, and you could hear all the crowd moving up and down that, that great hallway. And up, up above us, it's three stories of kids pouring up and down the staircases. And a couple of guys started to come in for the next class. And she says, well, I guess uh, I won't be able to finish my favorite story. But uh, for those of you who want to finish it, uh, you'll find this in a volume of short stories down at the library. Well, I'll tell you this. There were 37 kids in that class. And she turned 37 kids on to reading. That was the, the, most, the most dramatic turn on. She, she, believe me, she, she, she turned us on. And I suspect to this very day... There are 37, there are 36 other people who were in Mus Feist's class who are inveterate readers who remember that flame flickering in the Arctic wilderness, the sound of that sibelius music roaring through the eaves as little old Miss Fife, her girdle creaking, her rimless glasses glowing in the in the fluorescent lights of the classroom. The blackboard behind her outlining her with the little chalk scribblies all over the parsed sentences. The sentence diagrams drifting off down to the floor. And up to that point, that's what English had meant to us. Diagramming sentences, gerunds, Ivanhoe, the lady of the lake. Oh, boy. And then all of a sudden, it meant something else. A man hiding next to a dog with the wind screaming out of the, out of the black evergreens, slowly creeping up on him. And the faint, distant howling of the wolves as that last tiny match flickered up for an instant. See you tomorrow night for the last show of the new year. Razzmatazz and Rudy Toot. And there will be a Saturday at the limelight.